am so excited today to chat with Rudy Ricksteins. And you mentioned that that's of uh, Latvian descent. And um, I love that because there's always a story with names and how they're pronounced and the way that people tell me how to pronounce their names. They all have a story if it's an unusual spelling or it's not phonetic. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, and for our listeners, we met through Ben Albert, who has made some fabulous introductions to me for this podcast. And this is one of them. So thanks for joining me. It is uh, just really awesome to be here to finally get to connect with you. I know that to line our schedules, it took a minute, uh, but thank you so much. I I always like to start off everything by acknowledging time. And I did that when we first logged in and now I'm going to do it for your audience. And I want to just say, you know, you committed to listening to Sarah's podcast means that you're investing time and it's such an incredible, valuable resource. And I don't take that very lightly knowing that you're spending time listening to our words today. So from my heart to yours, thank you so much for listening. And I, I hope that we get to pour in and create tremendous value here for you today. Thank you. Yes. And I agree. It is such an honor that people actually tune into this for any length of time, much less the entire length of a podcast episode. So Rudy, I always start by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people might not know about them, that there's maybe it's from their childhood or something that they just don't share broadly on LinkedIn or any other platform. You know, I would, I would say that I, uh, Today, I'm somebody who speaks into being a mindset coach. I work with high performers. I help elevate people. But growing up, I was deeply, deeply insecure, uh, unfulfilled, unsure of myself. I had this bravado where if you asked anybody, they would think, well, he had all of his poop in a scoop, but I most certainly did not. <laughs> and um, I, I, I think that's probably the realest I can get with you, uh, if I could put it into those words, just to say, you know, as a child, I constantly questioned who I was, where I was going, what I was doing, uh, and didn't really know who I was for the longest, longest time. And I always find that so fascinating because we all make perceptions, you know, of, of what we see from the outside, but inside it's very different for everybody. And so I guess there's a truth uh, for you on your platform today. I was a very insecure guy. Uh, very unsure of myself, acted to be somebody completely different. I spoke and reconnected with a, a old high school friend a few months back and randomly in messaging back and forth, I said to him, man, I honestly can't believe that you were even friends with me. And he's like, what are you going on about? I was like, because I didn't even know who I was back then, that I was so loud, such a joker, such a character, trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be, that I couldn't have been very pleasant. Um, and obviously we had a good laugh at it because I was such a different personality than I am today. Um, but again, I, I always believe every part of our story is constantly serving who we get to become. And it's a big part of who I am today. Um, but I guess now, you know. Well, I love that. And for a couple of different reasons. One is that I don't think that's terribly unusual. People have told me, well, I know I appear to be an extrovert, but actually, I really am not, this is hard work for me, whatever. So that's, that's one thing that a lot of people say to me. But the other thing that struck me about what you just said is, I was going to ask, well, how do you mean? Like that, how did that show up those insecurities that not knowing who you were, but then you answered the question in your story, that you were out there making jokes, being silly, kind of being boisterous and in the way and larger than life. So that was kind of a 
I guess your reaction or your response to feeling insecure was to battle it loudly. You know, I, I believed that the more space I took up, the more people would notice me. And I assumed that when people were noticing me, that that was a positive thing and, and to have a loud presence. And so I'm going to layer the cake here for your audience a little bit today. You know, I came from a really small town in South Africa that is very much like um, the environment of like Orange County in California, where you have a tremendous amount of wealth in the town, except I did not come from any of that wealth. And so I went to a school where all my kids, their parents were multimillionaires and they were given cars and boats and things for birthdays. And here I was working every weekend, working nights during the week, school weeks as a waiter to make money and, you know, paying for school trips myself, things like that, just, just to, to fit in. And so I, I compounded not only my not knowing who I was with unworthiness of not having enough money and not being able to fit in and not having the new clothes and shoes. I remember, uh, I don't even know why I'm sharing it, but I, I have a memory that's popped to my mind of me being 18 years old, my final year of high school. And one of the kids I went to school with wanted pocket money or an additional money over the, for the weekend. And he sold a almost brand new pair of Nike shoes. At the time, I don't remember how much I paid, but let's pretend it was $50. And he sold it at a secondhand price for these shoes. And I bought them. And I remember going home with a secondhand pair of shoes, thinking these were the first time I ever wore Nikes. And I wore those things, like literally, I wore them until the soles fell off the shoes because I was so proud that I could wear Nike shoes. So if it just puts it into context for you, you know, um, Today, I, I can laugh at that, but it just speaks into where my mind was at the time and just my, my constant wanting to fit in and that I would take a, another man's pair of shoes to wear them because that would mean in some way I was connected to him or to the worthiness right. of being in the same room as him, which is fascinating because, you know, today, I, 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 like I started, I, I go into organizations or I, I go into to teams or I work with individuals, athletes, celebrities, billionaires, and, and support them to be their real selves. But if we talk about real stories and what's the value and the meaning behind every single story, it's that everything that's ever happening to any individual at any given time is preparing them for who they get to be now. And I look at my life and for years I was embarrassed by it. And then for years I apologized for it. And then I started stepping into what I refer to as my personal power in knowing who I am and why I'm there. And now I get to support other people to be able to do the same. And so when you create leaders of organizations, where they get to go out and actually step into their personal power and be themselves, not who they think people want them to be, not saying what they think other people, but saying who, what they are and what, what resonates with who they are. They connect with everybody else significantly differently. And, and that's the beauty of the story. And so, you know, the story really was preparation for who I am and what I get to do today. Well, I think everything is if we apply what we're learning at any given time and we can't do it at the moment. But when we can look back and say, oh, that's why I had to go through that. I remember um, just probably about five or six years ago, I had been working through this business that I have now. Alkins Consulting has been around since 1999 in one iteration or another, always at a side hustle until 2018 when I left my full-time job. And I remember when I was finally hitting that, oh, this is what I'm good at. Wow. And I was almost 50 
And I remember telling a friend who was 70, I said, I just wish I had, you know, found this a few years before because, man, I've been struggling trying to find my fit, trying to find what I do really well, trying to know what services I could provide that people would actually pay me to do. And she said, Sarah, you had to go through all of that to be where you are right now. You wouldn't be the same coach. You wouldn't be the same mother or friend if you hadn't had those experiences, you had to you had to get there before you could get here. Yeah, I would I would say that every single person that's listening, you know, anything that is happening in your life right now, anything that you are experiencing right now that you like or that you don't like, it's simply just feedback. It's information to you. And if you can process that information as feedback saying everything that I'm experiencing, I either like it or I don't like it why don't I like it? Or what is it that I don't like about it? What if I contributed to creating that? Then you get to really be present in the moment. Uh, I read a few years ago, a quote that I've never forgotten. And it's to say that the only gift that we ever have is the present. And I really, really love that because the present is the moment we're in right now. And the moment we're in right now is the eternal gift that we have. But most people sit in that moment frustrated, uh, resentful, disappointed, or longing for something else or something different, hoping that it's going to change. And then one day, potentially, maybe they get what they want. But think about all the years that they spent in resentment or in frustration or in anger or in any other state other than gratitude. And so to be grateful in that very moment for what you're experiencing, I think, is the true power of life. You know, this this past weekend, something really, really uh profound happened. And, and we could say this in any moment if we chose to take the time to zoom in and look at all the synchronicities of life. But we had a couple of, of events that transpired that ended up being such a beautiful shift in what is uh, going to be an incredible Thanksgiving as we record this shortly before Thanksgiving for my family. You know, on Sunday evening, my father had a heart attack. And we had just finished having a beautiful dinner with my mom and my dad. They've recently moved to where we live. They're uh, you know, a couple of minutes away from us. We have a, a Sunday dinner at their house or at our house. We flip-flop them. My kids run around their house like banshees. And it's just a, a beautiful family oh. environment. And we left, got in the car. My son made a comment. Uh, he's eight years old. And he made a comment just saying, wow, what a beautiful evening. He really enjoyed the meal. He loved the company. You know, We drove home and we did the bed bath uh, routine. Um, and, uh, my mom phoned and said, oh, I think he's having a heart attack. And so in that moment, our worlds got turned upside down. Now, the reason why I mentioned that is at the end of this recording, I get to go pick him up and take him home. And, you know, he had a stent put in and he's into recovery and, and it was a really scary, hairy last few days. I mean, I just left the hospital to come home and do this recording. And then I'm going to go back and, and go and take him home. And so it really has been a whirlwind, but let's talk about the beauty in staying grateful and present in the moment. You know, my wife was supposed to be traveling this past weekend and she has a really big job and she traveled extensively. And at the last minute, she decided the travel just being too much. This one trip, which is only two days, I'm not going to go on. And she stayed home. Had she not stayed home, I wouldn't have been able to go to the hospital and spend the whole night with my dad while he was having his surgery. And I wouldn't have been able to be there to support my mother. And let's back it up. Two days before that, my dad was supposed to be on a business trip that would have taken him two hours away from home. So he would have been home when it happened. 
And he was disappointed and frustrated when he wasn't home. I mean, when he was home, he actually made the comment saying it was really disappointing because I needed this. I needed the money. I needed to be there. And it's such an inconvenience. And the guy canceled on me. And I can't believe he did it. I didn't even respond to him. I was so mad. And I'm, and the reason I'm sharing the story is, you know, in that moment where my father was really mad that he didn't get to go because his client canceled on him and he lost out on money or the potential for money or this trip. That's when I say that the gift of being in the present is so powerful because instead of saying right now, wow, I don't have what I want. What I want is to be there two hours away. What I want is the money from doing the business rather saying, well, that's interesting. I didn't choose to have this be canceled. What's the value in that? And being grateful that it was canceled, even if it doesn't look and feel and taste the way that you wanted to in that moment, you're just saying, oh my goodness, there has to be a gift here. You know, in hindsight, we can always look back and say that moment served us. My dad was home. He was 10 minutes from a hospital. I was able to go and spend the night with him. And all these wonderful things happened to set it up that I still have my father come Thanksgiving meal, which I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. But it could have been so different. My wife could have been on that trip. My father could have been traveling away. There could have been so many little things that had happened. Mm -hmm. and, And I want all your listeners to walk away with this. And that is that in every moment when something's happening and you don't necessarily purposefully, carefully, calculatedly, as I like to say, decide to to have an experience and it happens for you, to you in that moment, that you take that shift and you say, how is it serving me? Rather than being frustrated, how can I look at this and just say, well, I'm grateful. And if I don't have any evidence to say I'm grateful, at least just stay present in, well, I know in time this moment will serve me. Because in that, you get to enjoy being where you're at. And then you're not forecasting into negativity or anchored in resentment from the past, you simply stay in present in the moment of being grateful. People always talk about gratitude and saying gratitude is such a powerful, beautiful gift. And that, you know, when you're practicing gratitude, you don't have the ability to express any other emotion. And so your body, your mind, everything is aligned around a beautiful vibration thought. Well, that is great, but you also have to take that and you have to ground it into something, which is being able to stay in that moment and say, well, if I'm not there, what do I have now? And if I'm here now, what do I get to do with the gift that I have now? And then that really creates such a beautiful shift for you. Mm-hmm. I want to add that you mentioned shifting into what I would call your life's work. And that in 2018, 2019, you anchored who you are and you've been creating unbelievable impact in the lives of your clients. And, and that's the beauty of, of, of being present in that moment. You know, for me, I had a really big uh, work agenda. I had a lot of commitments and all of a sudden COVID came and I lost all my commitments, all my income, everything overnight. And I sat there, I remember the day, I literally have the date because I, I wrote it in, in my first book and I've reflect on it often. And I sat down on the couch that one day thinking, oh my Lord, what am I going to do now? Like I have all these commitments. I have, I just bought a new house. I'm renovating and like, how do I pay for these properties and all these things in my lifestyle? Because literally everything in my world stopped and it didn't just stop and pause, it stopped and disappeared. And then I sat back and thought, well, if, if this moment's serving me, meaning practicing what I always preach, if this moment's serving me, what do I have right now that I didn't have before? And I was like, I have time. time. I have time. I have so <laughs> much time. And so I started doing all the passion projects that for years I had said, oh, I'll get to that when I have time. 
And what's so wonderful was those passion projects ended up being incredibly lucrative, but also fulfilling and rewarding. And I believe that I would have missed that had I not chosen in that moment to stay present and look for something beautiful in the moment. There are so many things going through my head right now. And the first one is something I heard years ago. um, What if this was happening for me and not to me? In order to give yourself a cue, a very specific question to ask yourself in that moment when it is so hard and things feel so big and dire, being able to pose that question, what if this was happening for me instead of to me? And then the other uh, two other things that popped into my head, one was the Viktor Frankl quote that um, space between stimulant and response is where you have choice. So whatever is happening for you or to you, you're creating a value to that. You're, you're deciding in a moment whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. When uh, Viktor Frankl was just such a phenomenal philosophy, I think, and I use this with a lot of my clients, is what if you give yourself space to decide the value of this thing so that you're conscious and being intentional about how you are setting your mindset around it? So that was the second thing. And the last thing was uh, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine. There's a woman, Nilofer Merchant, who wrote an article. Oh my gosh, it must be eight years ago, maybe more that clearly has been so sticky for me. I've mentioned it over and over again. She she wrote this article about the in-between. And it's that space between making a decision and implementing it or between the end of something and the beginning of something else where the world is full of possibility. And that in-between could even be when you got the call that your father was going to the hospital with a heart attack and then finding out what the diagnosis prognosis is. That is in-between space because it's so uncertain and everything is up in the air. And being able to be present and just be in that moment instead of worrying what's going to happen in the future or thinking about what you could have done in the past, either to prevent it or to avoid regret. I should have said this to my dad, all that stuff. Not living in that internal dialogue, but living in that moment for what is this moment right now? So I I love that you told that story and I'm so glad your dad is okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, I was literally just messaging him right before because he texted me and we were about to hit record and the text message came through. He said, I've been discharged. And I'm like, all right, I will have to see you in an hour. (laughs) I'll be there soon. (laughs) Yes, I look forward to it. Uh, You know, I want to go back to your Victor Frankl um, quote and, and explain the power of all three statements that you just made, because they're really very much the same thing. When When your audience hears this, I want you to put it into practice. Information is simply just information. Information in itself is invaluable. It has absolutely zero meaning unless you put it into practice. And so when you hear these words, even though it sounds great, my challenge to you is actually do something with the conversation you're hearing today. But I want to touch on the point uh, that we, we were making. And that is that when you have a mindset that looks at situations or life as positive, that is a trained behavior. That isn't something that someone has versus somebody else doesn't have because they were born with it. It's not genetic. It's about applying the principles of looking for new information. 
when you want to create the space to say that this moment is serving me, you're introducing a question that is prompting the brain to look for more information. When you prompt a brain to look for more information, you're overriding limiting beliefs. When you're overriding limiting belief, you're not overriding it, you're kind of bypassing it for a moment. Your brain perceives information at a rate of around about 50 uh, bits of data that you are logically consciously aware of. Now, that's a very clear distinction, consciously and logically aware of 50 bits of data every single second. But if you're all of a sudden in a hospital room, like an ER room where I was on Sunday evening, or if you're on a subway train, or if you're driving on a highway, or you're in an airplane, your brain is picking up upwards of 10 million bits of data, but you are only ever logically and consciously aware of the 50 at any given time. The 50 bits of information that you are logically receiving, meaning you're thinking about it, you're aware of it, and you're processing and making decisions from that vantage point, is based on your belief system that was formulated before the age of six or seven. And so if you have a belief that you're not good enough, you're not worthy, or that when you take chances, it's going to fail, or, or you know, bad things happen to good people, whatever the, the belief system is that was created in your mind at a really young age, your brain's filtering all that information through that lens. And when you pause and say, well, hang on a minute, this is happening for me, the brain says, oh, what does that mean? So it needs to look at more information, more data to reinforce what you're really asking, to look for more insight, for more information. And so I teach people all the time that if you just pause and ask new questions, you would get new answers. You would, you would make new decisions because you would access new parts of your brain. I don't want to complicate the process because I lost half the people when I started talking about the number of bits of information and when it comes and <laughs> when the formula was started. Uh -huh. But I want you to imagine if you every single moment introduced a new question, your brain would then not use the same neurological pathways that it always uses. And it has to now look for new, new systems, new formulas, new data. And so imagine if you have 10 million bits of information around you, but you're only focusing on the 50 bits of information that reinforce little Rudy was insecure, little Rudy's not good enough, little Rudy has to be loud to hear get his voice heard or to be worthy or to feel good enough. Well, I would still be filtering that. But at one point in time in my life, I needed to sit back and say, is that even true? And in asking the question, is it even true? The brain starts saying, well, hang on a minute. I mean, you finished high school, you never opened a book and you passed, Well, you can't be that stupid. And then the next question was, well, you know, if you've got these people that like you, you can't be that unbearable. And, and then you start to stack more. And I like to call it evidence. Your yes. brain is starting to see the evidence that your belief might be wrong. Might be. I mean, <laughs> it's hard though. And when you were talking about seeing, being grateful for moments, what popped into my head was you can be grateful for something, even if you don't like it. And when our boys were little, we required them to taste everything. They didn't have to eat everything on their plate. It wasn't that kind of household. And they didn't have to eat what they didn't like, but they had to taste whatever that was on their plate. And if they didn't like it, they couldn't just say, blah. They couldn't just make a, a noise or be, oh, that's gross. No, that was just never acceptable at our dining room table because somebody took the time and effort to make whatever is on that plate. So just being insulting about it that wasn't acceptable in our house. And so the boys had to taste it. And then they had to describe what they didn't like. They had to say, mm, there's something about this texture. It's a little spongy. I don't like the, the sliminess of this mushroom or um, 
I get it. I understand why you like it. I don't like it because it has that weird bitter flavor at the end. They had to be really descriptive. And what it did is it allowed for that appreciation, that gratitude for the food that was in front of them, even if they didn't like it. So when you said, be grateful for this moment, even though my father is in the hospital and I don't know what's going to happen, being grateful just for having that present moment, I think is a critical aspect of being able, as you said, to start looking at the other data, the other evidence piling up, being able to be in that present moment to decide that you're going to be here rather than 10 minutes in the future or a week in the future. What if this? What if that? Well, your brain is going to make up all kinds of stuff to answer those questions unless you stop it. So I, see, I love all of this. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, we actually, I've known her for over 20 years and we're roughly the same age. And her father had a heart attack the same day as mine. And wow. her, her father uh, sadly didn't make it and, and he passed. And the reason why I'm bringing this up because it's really important people hear what you just said in that, you know, I had a conscious choice to make in being in that hospital room. And this is an emergency room. So, I mean, there's just doctors flying, coming in, coming out. And they just allowed my mother and I to sit in the corner and watch with all the tubes and everything going and then moving him in and moving him out. And, and then eventually, obviously, operating. And, and in all of what was happening I got to be present in that moment. This could be the last time I see him. This could be the last word I have. Or in most of that evening was silent. We just sat and we just watched. And but being hands. present in that moment. And, you know, to find out later that evening around midnight that my friend's father did not make it. And, and the thoughts that go through your mind in that moment of just had that been my reality, I could always say I was grateful in that moment. I wasn't grateful for what was happening. You know, I wasn't grateful for the situation, the circumstance, but I was grateful for being present. I was grateful for sitting in the room. I was grateful to be there for my mom. I was grateful that my, my wife was home with our kids and she could look after them so I could be there. I was grateful my dad wasn't. And I just stayed in that moment of this is where I am and I get to be there. I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't doing anything other than updating my extended family. But outside of that, I was present and in that room and having conversations with him when I could and speaking to doctors and doing whatever we could in that moment. Mm -hmm. But for so many people, they get caught up in situations. And I'm not referring to this one because we all deal with stress very differently in those environments. But in most of life, we're not present for it. You know, we live life by default. We're living life reacting to circumstances around us rather than in that moment taking authority in what is happening and saying, how can I best serve this moment? How can I be present in this moment? What questions could I ask that would allow me to access different parts of the brain? Or what decisions could I make that could drive a better result in this moment? So many people in life, and I'm sure you, you come across this through your clients, they want to achieve more. They want higher accolades, more income, higher authority, whatever it is. They, they want to do and achieve more. But if they just took a higher level of accountability in themselves and in every moment, they would achieve all those things easily. That's how my clients achieve tremendous successes, not because we're focusing on what they want to achieve. We're getting them to demonstrate highest levels of accountability, highest levels of leadership within themselves, in their own life, in every present moment, because that's when it matters. 
And when you're making a business decision later, or you're deciding on an investment or a new outcome for a product launch or whatever it is you're doing, well, those are no longer the big questions. Those become easy because you've conditioned yourself to show up at the highest level for yourself in every moment and being present and, and making decisions from your own vantage point for yourself, not from what other people think or feel. And that's always going to be the right one or, or resonate the most with people because that's why you're in that room at that moment. And so I do hope that your audience uh, benefits from that. Obviously, we did not plan or intention any of these questions. I had no idea I was going to be talking about my father. I'm not surprised because it's such a heightened emotion for me in this moment. But I really hope that it's a gift to your audience to, to really to spend some time being present in everything and ask yourself the thing that's happening in your life right now. Do you like it? And if you don't like it, why not? And what could you do about it? And what is it doing to possibly serve the person that you get to be next, because in the next moment, you're going to be present. And in that moment, you get to add this to the value of who you are. And then you get to show up as a, as a better, more whole person. And who's that person? Because I'm excited to meet that person. And, and then what, what is the life that you get to live from there and the level of fulfillment and joy that you get to have in having that moment? Well, it's brought value to me, this conversation. So I'm, I'm sure that I'm not alone in that when our listeners hear it. And Part of what I loved about this conversation from the beginning was that it was it was a story. It was from a, an experience that just happened. And that something I've been suggesting for years is that your most meaningful stories are your daily interactions. It's the little things that happen in your day that when you share them as a story, connect you with the people around you. And as you know, with your the leaders that you coach, that you guide, it's those moments that people want to know about because they show, they demonstrate very clearly what matters to you. And when you can do that, you get all of these people advocating on your behalf. They, they want to see your vision explored and, and exceeded because they know it, what matters to you. So this is a, a perfect iteration of this because it's a story and it's a real experience that, that you're still you're still in the midst of. So the number one driver for human behavior and human connection uh, is vulnerability. And it's really hard to not be vulnerable when you're telling a story about your life, right? I challenge you to try. It's really hard to not be vulnerable. And when people walk into a room I've yet, never, never have I ever met somebody who doesn't want to be liked. You know, they can pretend they don't want to be liked, but they really desperately want to be liked. People want to innately be seen, valued, and heard. Uh, and, and to do that, you have to first have a connection with people in a room. And to connect to people, the fastest, quickest, surest way is to share a story, to have a moment of vulnerability, which is why when the opportunity to be in your podcast, I jumped at it because it was the story that grabbed me. And I was like, yeah, stories, I love stories. And, and so that's how people connect with people is by sharing. But I want people to really understand that every story that you have, every story that makes up your life experience isn't about you. I don't believe that anything that happens to you is about you at all. I think it's about what you do with that story. And that when you have that story and you share that story, that there's a moral obligation to share it to pass it on, to gain the value and then do something with that value to impact the collective. And that when we do that, we're fulfilling our purpose and we're fulfilling our destiny. And only then do we achieve true fulfillment. 
most of the people that I work with are incredibly successful. They have all the money, houses, yachts, boats, helicopters, and things you could imagine. And not all my clients are at that level, but I do work with a lot of people that have achieved tremendous wealth and success. And so whether someone's at a startup phase or whether they've achieved a lot in their life, most of the people that I start to work with, they're not happy and they're not fulfilled. And, and usually the root cause of that is because they stopped being who they are. They stopped sharing their story. They started putting on a facade of, well, what does the CEO of the business look like? What does the executive team need to wear to play the part instead of being them? When they're in meetings, they're no longer thinking, well, this is my thought or my idea, or I didn't like that. They're thinking, what's the right thing I should say? Because I should know the answers to everything. And, and in those moments, we're actually removing the most valuable part of who we are, which is us. And if we can just remind ourselves to stay up and then to share from that vantage point, share our stories. I had the privilege of watching a new CEO come into a new organization, really, really big company. And on day one, she walked in and put up a slideshow projection. And she said, I don't believe in slideshows at all. I could, you know, we're not going to have PDFs in my meetings, but we will today because I wanted to show you, this is my dog and this is my other dog and this is my cat. And then she stood there for an hour and introduced us to her family. And she only had a dog and a cat family, her and her husband. And you know, we got to know intimately by being present in that room a little bit about her, about her life, about why she only has dogs and cats and what she wants. And then at the end of it, every single person left that room feeling like they knew a piece of this person that is coming to take over. You know, what I loved about that interaction, and there was a tremendous amount of coaching that would have gone into that, but was that she didn't <laughs> walk into the business saying, we're going to change everything. The new principles of the business are and, and leading with what's the new structure, right. right? It was more like, hey, this is who I am. I have a heart. I'm a person. You're a person. We're people. We're all people. We all have stories. We all have lives. We all have homes. Here's mine. Love to hear yours. And it, it started the beginning of that foundation. And that's really what I love about interactions. And so every single time somebody interacts with somebody else, and when you're going to interact with the next person after hearing this podcast episode, the very next person that you interact with, I want you to ask yourself, why is this happening? And what's my responsibility to support them, to uplift them, to inspire them? Because you never know in that moment if you have the power, the potential to say something that could change that person's life or even better yet, save someone's life because your stories have that value and you have that power and that potential to change someone's life. And so I, uh, I love to, to remind people that in sharing, we're doing the work and, and it's the point behind having the story. Absolutely. And um, I, I, I love that for so many reasons, of course, because you know, your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. So it flows right into that. I would love to um, bring this full circle and kind of wrap this into the beginning of our conversation, which was that insecurity that you experienced as a kid. Tell me about a time in recent months that you felt that inner child kind of showing up and you were able to, I don't know, recognize him and acknowledge where he was coming from and still move through it in a way that felt good and and powerful to you do you have an experience like that in recent months because i so, always have that <laughs> where i feel like a little kid and then i'm like oh no i i am really good at this <laughs> so you know what i i think i'm going to share this and i hope 
you and your audience resonate with this. You know, I, I have achieved in my line of work a tremendous amount of what people would refer to as success. And I don't advertise my business at all. I'm very busy. I'm very effective. I'm good at what I do. And I'm proud of the work I do out in the world. But here's why I'm sharing that. In our line of work, to get your name out there, you want to be in the media. You want to be in the press. You want people to see your face on covers of magazines or in articles. You want to be quoted, listed, named, celebrated. And um, I, uh, I, I had a moment about two months ago where uh, somebody on my team was saying, Rudy, we've really got to put some of this, these articles out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it one day. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let's look through them. Okay, I'll read, you know, I'll decide which ones. And, and I kept sitting on it. And I have seven articles that I was featured in in uh, this year. I was featured in nine articles, but I had seven that were unpublished by me, meaning I didn't share them with my audience. I didn't share them on social media. I didn't put them on my website. I did nothing with them. And someone on my team was saying, like, Rudy, like, this is the point. Like, you get into magazines so you can tell people you're in magazines so that they can call you so you can get. And I had this resistance to posting and I had resistance to sharing and I had resistance to putting it on, on platforms. And when people said, why, why are you sitting on it? Uh, it came to me <laughs> when I was uh, attending uh, a, a seven-day retreat. I was hosting for a company. I did the first uh, four days of their event, and then the last three days they took over. And, and I was in attendance at this event, meaning after my, my sessions. And at one point, the leader of the organization had a baby photograph of every single person in the company there in a folder, and it was put in front of everybody. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and I had a folder with my name put in front of me. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And I open it up and I pull it out at the time under instruction. And it's a baby photograph of me, like a, a toddler photo. So they've obviously pulled this from somewhere, social media or however they had a photograph of me. And then there was another piece of paper that said, you're going to write a letter to yourself right now. And everyone in this, in this organization had to now write a letter from their future self to their, their child self, right? And in that letter I wrote to myself, I realized without even consciously, logically thinking about it in that moment, I wrote down, you know what, Rudy, it's okay. You know, you are whole, you are healed. You're not insecure. Like, look at what you're doing. Look how great you're doing. And I wrote this whole letter. I still have it. I have it in my office. And I had written the letter. Here's to the evidence. <laughs> which is fascinating because at no point in time did I think that's what it was. And, and, and here's the full circle. You know, I still sit where I am today having achieved success. I still sit here today you know, being named a top five coach or, or having achieved the things that I've done where I still don't feel like I'm good enough. Oh, I can't post that Forbes article because what if people say I'm not worthy or, oh, <laughs> you know, and, and I had stacked them and just put them aside and left them. And I still haven't posted them, but I think I should. I think I should. But the, the answer to your question was, you know, every single day I come up against insecurities. Every day I come up in I'm still not good enough or not worthy. And then I have to remind myself, well, you know what? For 20 years, I've been doing this and I am worthy. Or, or for, I have this incredible wife that loves me and adores me. I am lovable. I am good enough. And, and then you overcome those really quickly by stacking the evidence, as, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really funny that they, that came up for me. It was a, a deeply emotional <laughs> moment to realize, wow, that little insecure boy still lives somewhere inside of me that 
I didn't realize was holding me back from actually publicly, you know, sharing any of my accolades at the time, which is really <laughs> silly, but profound. That's perfect. No, it's perfect because that's exactly what I was asking. And um, I knew because I was watching your expressions that you had a story that would fit perfectly. And partly because I know as we're talking, um, when, when I'm listening to somebody and I'm hearing their stories, I can usually pick out a story from what's going on in their head without knowing what it is exactly. So that was perfect. And thank you for sharing it because I don't think enough of us acknowledge, first of all, from that perspective, that that inner person is still there and it's okay. And that you don't need to beat yourself up over still having those internal dialogues periodically. That that right there is really important. It's also important for our listeners to know that people at the, these high levels that that however you want to define success are considered successful, that we still have that question that it still comes up for us. And that the only thing that makes us different is that we move beyond it. We don't let it stop us from doing the next thing, except for those articles. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to talk about those articles in, a, in another episode. <laughs> yes. sure. uh, but, but you know, what's wonderful is, is I may never post those because the, the articles to me aren't about um, showboating or, or true, because I spent my entire life doing that. And, and, right. you know, well, at least my, my adolescent years. And so I make a conscious effort not to, but now I'm doing it for very different reasons. Exactly. But the, the interesting thing is that, you know, almost 85% of all CEOs suffer from imposter syndrome. They don't feel like they're good enough, worthy. Right. The most common thought of high level executives is when are people going to find out I'm not qualified? Right. Yep. I and that is that. the same thing that holds me back from saying, hey, look, here I am, you know, featured here or well, doing this. And let's let's reframe this a little bit. And and I'm not coaching you or anything. I'm just reframing. When you put those things out there like, oh, look at me, look at what I've accomplished, look at these Forbes articles that I've been notified that my my words matter. When you're sharing it, it's because those words matter to other people. Like you said, if you share those articles, it's not because you're going, hey, look at me, look how great I am. It's because you know that what you said in them could add value to somebody's life. And if you don't share them, the person who needs to see those words, who needs to read them out loud to themselves, they're going to miss it. And you just said yourself, what kind of impact can I have? on this person who needs to hear these words of encouragement and appreciation how can i show that they are a valuable human being if you're not doing that you're not living your legacy you're not living your purpose so maybe those articles if you can reframe sharing them to who needs to see this article that hasn't seen it yet maybe that's because that's not you're not sharing it to go hey obviously or you would have done it as soon as it came out. A beautiful, beautiful uh, way to, to put a bow on our conversation today. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> I think that was a wonderful gift. I came to give gifts and I got a gift in return. You're wonderful. Thank you. Well, it's mutual. Rudy, thank you so much. And again, I am honoring your time. I so appreciate that you chose to do this with me, especially in a time where you are still in the middle of what's going on with your father. And um, from me, and I am sure from my listeners, I'll speak on their behalf. Here's to long health 
for your father and love for your family at Thanksgiving. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And happy Thanksgiving to you and to all uh, of your listeners. I wanted to leave a, uh, a gift for your audience. Uh, and in the show notes, I'll share a link with you just to a free book of mine. Um, I'd love you to click it. It's typically not free to you. It is going to be free. And so I would love for you just to learn a little bit more about me, the principles, the work that I do and how I can potentially help you show up as the best version of yourself. And so from me to you, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Have an amazing rest of your day. Love you. Thank you. And for our listeners, um, the link will be in the podcast show notes at elkinsconsulting.com for you to please download this free ebook. What is it called? So this is about aligning uh, your teams. And so the reason behind the book title is I work mostly with executives within organizations, but the principles inside the book work even if you're a solo entrepreneur or you're a college student and you're, you're trying to figure out yourself in life and it's about aligning yourself. You know, there's three real main parts to any single person. And without going into detail, I'll say you have your mental body, you have your physical body, and you have your energetic body. And all three of those need to be aligned in order for you to move in a direction, a unified direction. And whether you're doing that as a solo person, whether you're doing it as a team, or you're doing it as an entire organization of 5,000, all of those need to be aligned with all people in order to achieve a very specific desired outcome. And so it's really about aligning yourself, aligning your team, and uh, it could be applied in any level at any age. And I highly recommend your audience takes advantage of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this gift. And thank you, Rudy, for the gift of your time. Thank you.